Hey, good morning, everybody. Glad you're here today to end up our series, The Grass is Always Greener. My name is Jared, if we haven't met. I'm so excited. Uh, I'm going to ask you a question that I'm pretty sure everybody in here can answer yes to. I think we've all experienced this. Uh, You guys ever gotten that gift at Christmas or your birthday, maybe from a family member or a friend that you're just like asking this question, what am I supposed to do with this? Have you ever gotten that? Like, I... I've been married, this is amazing, almost 21 years in about a few weeks here, and I remember early on in my marriage with Sarah, her grandmother got me a gift, and it was sweet for her grandmother to even think of me, like, that's not, listen, I I love gifts from anybody, even if they are kind of crazy, but she got me this gift where I was asking, what am I supposed to do with this, like, literally, it was this, it was a mini hammer, and it was like, I mean, it was kind of sort of regular size. I mean, it wasn't like so many that you're like, oh, it's a mini hammer. I mean, it was, just, it was just a small hammer. And I remember in the moment going, thank you so much. And Sarah said in her mind, she's like, oh, that will be so useful. And in my mind, I'm going, what am I supposed to do with this hammer? <laughs> like, it's literally like not big enough. It was not heavy enough because I tried it to put a finishing nail and drywall to hang a picture with. I remember getting this hammer about, okay, all right, fine. It's going to, and I go, and I'm like, and I'm like, and I can't, it's so small, I can't even rear back to hit it as hard as it would take to put this nail through drywall. So the hammer was kind of useless, but it was kind of the early age of multi-tools. It's, long, it's that long ago. And at the end, and the handle of this hammer, if you unscrewed it, two screwdrivers would pop out. One a flathead and one a, a, a Phillips. And I thought, oh, okay, this is where the value of this, maybe the hammer is kind of like a, a goofy little thing, but these screwdrivers. And I remember thinking, I'm going to keep this in the drawer because I never know when I'm going to need these screwdrivers. So I pull out the flathead screwdriver, a small, I mean, it's maybe four inches, and it, this uh, perfect because the towel rack in the bathroom, you know that little bitty screw on the bottom, you have to tighten, guys, you know what I'm talking about, you have to tighten to make sure that it holds on to the, the thing on the, the bracket, right? So get in there, and that screwdriver is too big to fit in that screw. And I'm thinking, this small screwdriver is too large to do the job, the one job that I needed to do today. And then the Phillips head was the same way. I thought, oh, this would be perfect for the toys and games that my kids get that need AA batteries. But it had a head too big to fit in the little plastic slot to reach the screw down at the end of the battery compartment. Guys, it was a completely useless mini hammer. And I I don't know if you've had that experience, but when you get there, you're like, what am I supposed to do with this thing? It just, and and since I tried to find it to bring it here today to show it to you and prove it to you, but it's obviously since been thrown away because I couldn't find it anywhere in the house. So, if you think about your life that way, though, boy, isn't that the way you sometimes think about yourself? And that kind of that you look and start comparing yourself to other people that are around you, and you look at what talents they have and abilities they have and the boat and the car and the house and the, and the boyfriend, the girlfriend, the, the family, and all the things. You start doing this comparison game, and you, it's almost like if you're, this is, I'm, this is now me talking. I, I feel like sometimes that when God made me, it was kind of like he was like, okay, all right, we're going to make a Brad Pitt. We're going to make him good-looking, talented actor, a heart for people. And we're going to make a, a Dwayne Johnson with all these muscles and all this talent to act. And we're going to make a LeBron James and make him tall and, and athletic and just an amazing leader and start a school for people and all this stuff. And I got a little bit left over from three guys. I, I still got enough to make up one person. <laughs> I got enough to make a Jared Martin. <laughs> I mean, you got enough left over from all these great people. And I'm just kind of like, well, I'm the leftover somewhat, right? If I could have gotten just some of what they had, some of the looks or some of the talent or some of what they get, and we look at ourselves and we, we go, what am I supposed to do with this life? 
Because I'm just, I'm just me. I, I've got nothing compared to these other people. I've got nothing compared to her or him. And when we start looking around, we start to doubt whether there is really anything that God could do with us. And here's what I think. Go to this next slide. I think many of us miss what God has for us because we focus on what we do not have. We spend so much time comparing, and that's where we've been the last four weeks. This whole series has been about really comparing ourselves to other people and trying to figure out how that really destroys us. In week one, Matt did a great job of opening up the series and talking about how this whole idea of of finding contentment, right, comes from being able to look at Jesus, and I can do all things through Christ. I can be okay with a lot, and I can be okay with just a little. Like, in terms of comparing my life to other people, Paul's point was, and Matt helped teach this to us, is like, I can do all things. I can learn to be content when I have a lot. I can learn to be content when I have a little. And then week two, we came back and talked about how once you start to learn that, you start to learn that, that who we are as people, how we measure ourselves really should be measured by what God says about us. And he says that we can be adopted as sons and daughters through Christ Jesus. That's your measure of whether or not you're okay. God says you're okay. He's loved you enough to send his son for you. You're okay, so you don't have to measure yourself against these other standards that seem to be forcing you to compare yourself to other people in your life. And then last week, I tried to take a a jump off of that idea and basically say a lot of times the reason why we feel like we don't really have what we need inside is because we are going to the wrong source. We're going to different places to get our identity and purpose rather than to Jesus himself as the source. So the launching point, this final piece is really about helping you guys today. And listen, I can't convince you of this today. I I know I'm not good enough to do that. I just hope and pray that God today will move in you and help you understand this principle and maybe think about this issue differently because I believe that the way God created you, and you don't have to compare yourself to anybody in order to be used by God and know that who you are and the way God created you is exactly the way He intended you to be. And yeah, there may be some things about you that you need to grow and change. I'm not saying God's going to just leave you where you are, but you never have to doubt whether or not God is going to use you because of the way you stack up against other people. Because here's what I think we do when we start comparing ourselves to other people. We actually create a Frankenstein. You guys know the story of Frankenstein? If you've been in American culture at all, you kind of understand who Frankenstein is. But I, read, I remember reading the book Frankenstein for the first time when I was in my master's program and getting my English master's. And I remember reading this book and, and kind of getting a new light and understanding of this. The doctor who was creating this, this Frankenstein wasn't trying to create a monster. They were trying to create the perfect person. And they picked all these different pieces of these different people and put them together and sewed them together and tried to reanimate them into this perfect thing. But what he ended up was a monster, Right? And this is what you do when you compare yourself to all these different people because I bet there's not just one person you hope to be like, right? You look at him and you go, oh man, I wish I had his job and his influence. The way he's able to like, the money he makes and the way he just kind of moves through the business and he keeps moving up. I just wish I had his position. But I really don't want his wife. I'd rather have his wife because, man, his wife's kind of sweet and pretty. But I, I, I don't want his. I want his. So I, I'll, take, I'll take those two pieces. And, but I want this guy's kids. His kids are terrible. His ki- he didn't even have kids. I'd like to have his freedom and have his kids. So if I could figure out how to have his freedom, his kids, his job, his wife, that, that would be great. Maybe I could have her boat. Oh, man, the boat she bought last week. I'd, and then you create this, this masterful, perfect life for yourself that's supposed to be amazing. If you could get all of these things and put them together, oh, my gosh, you would just have the most wonderful life. And what you've done is created a monster that doesn't exist. And then you try to be that 
thing that doesn't exist and you yourself become a monster because that's not who you were created to be. And God created you uniquely, you for a reason. And the reason you don't believe that is because you continue to compare yourself to other people. But here's what I know to be true about you. Go to that next slide. Comparison diminishes your unique identity and potential. The hope to convince you today, or at least to help you think about it a different way, the fact that who you are and your uniqueness, maybe even the things that you don't like about you, God may have put there on purpose for you. And the, and the reason he did that was not to be mean to you and make you feel like you're the leftovers. No, no, no. It, was, it has a much, much greater story than that. And I hope today that you can start to see yourself as somebody that God can use, even with all these imperfections, even with all these things that don't seem to measure up to the other people in your life. So if we can go there today, that's where I want to go. And, and we're going to start with just a few verses because Paul, one of, one of the guys early on in the church that got, basically went around and started churches, he wrote to a group of people in a city called Corinth. It's his first letter to the Corinthians. And he wrote to these Corinthian people and these believers, and he had to remind them of something. Basically the same idea that we need to be reminded of is that when you start and you are called by God and, and God wants to use you, you are not called because of what you have. You're called because of who God created you to be. And so you don't have to get to a certain level to be used by God. You don't have to get certain things in order to get there. He tries to remind them of this simple truth. There's, there's something more basic than, than what you think you have to get to, right? It's, it's who he's called you to be. It's who he's created you to be. And so Paul writes this in, in the first chapter. And if you guys read this whole chapter, this first little thing, you'll get an idea about what he's trying to remind them of. But I just want to jump into this verse 26. He says, Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Like, I understand many of you have made progress, Corinthian people. I know you've made progress and you've kind of gained influence in your community or maybe your job's better or, or maybe you, you've, you've kind of understood what it looks like to use your power in a new way. I get that. But listen, when God called you, that wasn't who you were. When God called you, you weren't wise. You weren't wealthy. You weren't powerful. Many of you sitting here today, you wouldn't call yourself wise. You wouldn't call yourself powerful or wealthy. And, and Paul writes to these people and lets them know, Look, wait a minute, wait a minute. Only a few of you were actually all these things, but God called you anyway. God, God called you not based on, on, on these, these things that you seem to think you need to have. God called you based on the fact that he made you. And the fact that he made you, he has, some, has something for you. He's called you to be these things despite what you think you are. He's called you to something greater than yourself. Isn't that interesting? And then he says this in verse 27. Instead, God chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. Now, some of you, if you're not a follower of Jesus, this may make no sense. It, it, it doesn't really ring true for you. Like, how can foolish things make wise people shamed? And, and here's what I want to point out. Paul's not talking about being foolish, like making bad decisions. Here's what he's talking about. Sometimes what God calls us to do looks very foolish to the people of this world who don't follow Jesus. In fact, some of you, you work in a business field where sort of like manipulating people to get what you want is just the norm. And you look at how people 
respond to customers or to other businesses that you're selling to or that you're working with and to, and to work things to your advantage and to behind the scenes manipulate and turn things. That's just the way the world works. That's just, that's just part of being a part of business. That's just, that's just part of being a part of this world. And for you to be a follower of Jesus and to say, I'm going to do something different, wouldn't it be foolish of you to, to be ethical in the midst of these practices that everybody else is doing and and to kind of cheat yourself because if you don't do these things, you might not get the sale. It might not work out for you because this is the way things done. Or maybe in your sexual integrity. Does it seem foolish for you to go against what the world says is okay in terms of, of your sexual act, actions and, and, and desires, in terms of what God says is okay inside the confines of marriage? Doesn't that seem like unwise and foolish to do? And yet, here God's saying, no, 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 I'm going to use these foolish things to, to shame the wise. And then he says he's going to take powerless things. And he's going to show that to be powerful. Those of you who are weak, and those of you who don't have high positions or, or high-paying jobs or don't get respected by the people in your working field or, or maybe by your, your parents, and you feel powerless to do anything, God says, no, 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 you're right where you need to be. Because I, I actually enjoy taking these things that are powerless and using them to show the powerful who I am. And so it flips our economy of comparison just a tad, doesn't it? When you start comparing yourself to all these powerful and wonderful, wise and wealthy people, and then Paul writes and goes, no, 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 you're, you're actually comparing the wrong things. Why, Paul? Why, what, I thought all these things is what I'm supposed to try to get to. I'm supposed to try to get more influence. Yeah, I get it. But he says this in verse 28 and 29. Watch this next verse. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. And as a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. Here's what Paul says. Hey, the reason God likes to use the weak, the foolish, the powerless, the poor, is so that nobody can boast and by the way, the, the wealth you want and the job you want that's going to pay you what you want, that is not impressive to God. And, and you getting to a certain level of, of management or leadership in, in your company and making that next raise and making that next, that next jump, that's not impressive to God. And how beautiful your girlfriend or boyfriend is, it's not impressive to God. Those aren't the things that impress God. He's looking at everybody going, no, 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 you don't understand. I'm not trying to drag you down from being a good person. I want you to, to continue to work to do good things and maybe get a raise and maybe get into to this thing and maybe have this family. I, it's okay to chase those good things, but I just want you to remember, everybody's on a level playing field when they come to me. No one can boast when they come in front of me. And that's why. I often like to use the people who are powerless or seem foolish to the world because it sure does kind of mess everybody up. It sure does reframe their whole life around it. So some of you right now, I just want you to consider this next little slide here. What if you stopped thinking about what you don't have and saw yourself as someone God can use? What if you stop trying to compare yourself to everybody else in your life that you've been comparing yourself to? And what if you stop doing that and instead go, I wonder if I'm a, maybe I am, maybe, maybe I am. Maybe I'm someone who's good enough. Because here's what God did with all these different people in the Bible stories that you read about. 
If you don't think you're good enough, I want to give you a spectrum. Because there's this person, Rahab, she was a prostitute in a city that the Israelite people were about to take over. And Rahab had heard about this God that they followed, and she believed in this God. And so she hid spies from Israel in her home. And then she said, hey, remember me, because I don't want to be a part of this city anymore and what they believe. I'd like to be a part of what you believe. And while Rahab did a good thing, her past hung on her. And she wasn't a good person, but God used her to save two spies and to bring about the victory of the Israelites over those people. Now, if he can use Rahab, maybe you're somewhere between Rahab and Noah because Noah was also used by God. He was actually a guy that God said was the last person on earth who he could call righteous. Nobody, no, nobody's even close to good. Noah, you're the last one. Build a ship. So if you're somewhere between kind of terrible, awful, and really, really good, God can use you. There's no question about it anymore. You don't, you don't have to worry about if you're good enough. You, if you're in between these two, you make it. Some of you ask yourself this. Well, maybe I'm not talented enough. Am I talented enough? Maybe I'm not. Well, I, this is my opinion. This is not confirmed by anybody else so far. But listen, I think Gideon, his story, he's pretty much the most untalented person in the Bible. God called Gideon to, to rout an army, but he didn't give him any weapons, and he didn't give him a really big army. In fact, Gideon was so like not really talented at leading an army, God was like, I need to give you only 300 guys. That's all you get. I don't even think you can manage any more than that. And by the way, we're not going to take swords. I want you to take torches. I want you to take clay pots and horns. And when you go to battle, that's what you're going to go to battle with. And Gideon had a victory, but it wasn't because of his talent and what he could be used by. So if you have zero talent today, listen, you and Gideon are in the same spot. Now, maybe you're a really talented person, though. Bezalel was the guy that, that God said, hey, have Bezalel. He's an artist of metal and woodworking, and I want him to create the ark of the covenant I have with you people. And so in the middle of the temple, the, the Jews used the ark of the covenant. That was the place where God's spirit rested when he came down into the temple, and he rested on this piece. So he said, I want my talented artist Bezalel to make that. So if you're somewhere between no talent and really talented, guess what? God can use you. What if, what if you ask this next question? Maybe I'm not rich enough. I had to shorten this name. John the Baptist, if you don't know about him, John the Baptist wore a camel's hair cloth and he ate grasshoppers. <laughs> that sounds awesome, right? So if you're somewhere between uh, grasshopper meals and what Zacchaeus had, Zacchaeus was a tax collector in Jesus' day. And Zacchaeus had so much money, he invited Jesus and his disciples to dinner. And at that dinner, Zacchaeus looked at Jesus and said, you know what, you're right, I've been cheating people. I'm going to pay everybody back I've stolen from four times what I owe them. Zacchaeus had so much money, he was able to pay back people he'd stolen from four times what he owed and still have money. That's rich. So if you're somewhere between eating grasshoppers and like loaded rich, God can use you. Isn't that amazing? What about this next one? Maybe you're not pretty enough. Dudes, this is for you too, all right? But ladies in the room, listen, there's a lady named Leah. In Genesis, if you read about Jacob, who, who went and he saw Leah's younger sister, Rachel, and he wanted to marry Rachel. But in that culture, you married the oldest daughter first, and then you got the younger daughter, or whatever, married off later, okay? So Leah was passed over. Jacob wanted to, he worked seven years for Leah's father to gain Rachel, but the father tricked him and gave him Leah instead. You know what it says about Leah? It says Leah had weak eyes. We don't know what that means, but we know this. It was enough to make Leah insecure. Enough to make Leah feel like she wasn't worthy of her husband because she wasn't as acceptable in her husband's eyes as Rachel. But on the other end of the spectrum, you have Esther. If you read the book of Esther, 
Esther was one of the most beautiful women in the land, so much so that the king called her to him to be one of his special people in the palace. And Esther used her position as a beautiful woman called in the king's palace to be able to advocate for her people, the Jews, in front of the king. And that just didn't happen. So listen, if you're somewhere between Leah and Esther, God gets to use you too. And maybe there's one, I think there's one more. Maybe you don't feel like you're familyed enough. I had to make up that word because I wasn't sure how to keep this grammatically structured parallel, okay? So maybe you don't feel like you have the right kind of family to fit in. Abraham didn't have any family. He didn't have any kids. Once his dad and his uncles died off, he was, he was done for. He didn't, he didn't have anything. And God called him out and said, hey, I want to make a new, brand new people out of you. So leave the family that you have. We'll go start fresh. And he started a, a brand new family, a nation of people from Abraham. And on the other side, you have somebody like David. Maybe you feel like the opposite. Maybe you feel like, I got too many family. I got too many family. People need to leave me alone. David was, had such a big family. He had seven brothers. And the, the prophet Samuel came to look for the next king of Israel because God called him and said, go find a new king. Go to the house of Jesse. He goes to, to David's dad, Jesse. And Jesse shows up all his older sons. And Samuel gets in the line and says, it's not him. This, this not, it's, the king is not here. He said, don't you have any more sons? And Jesse goes, oh, oh yeah, David. He's the youngest. He's out in the field still. Like David got forgotten. He had so many family members. If you're somewhere between no family and a whole bunch of family, guess what? God can use you. You don't, wait, but you, don't I have to be a, like a certain kind of person for God to use? Don't I have to have certain kind of skills or talents? Or, I just don't feel like I have those. No, no, no. You're missing the point. You're missing the point. God just wants you the way he made you. And he wants you to use what he gave you. That's the, that's the real deal. This is what you're missing out by comparing yourself to all these other people. You're missing out on the chance to, to see God use you in a way you never thought possible because you never considered to be possible. And yet, maybe even the weakness you have Maybe even the very thing that you don't think is usable is the very thing that God put in your life so that he could show up and do something amazing in it. This is, this is basically the bottom line for today. Oh, I have a quotes. I'm sorry, I have quotes before I get to that bottom line. I totally forgot. You guys, this is a real deal. Mother Teresa, you guys know her? You know what she said about this whole deal about being used by God? Here's what she said. I am a little pencil in the hand of a writing God who is sending a love letter to the world. All of you in this room, including me, would be like, Mother Teresa? She's way more than a little pencil. She, like, she might be like the first chapter, right? She, you know how she saw herself? She was a teacher. That's what she was. She was a teacher. And something grabbed her heart about all the kids in Calcutta, India, who did not have a teacher. And she said, can I go there and teach those kids who were on the street? And they said, Yes. And then she kept asking for next, the next thing to do. And you know what? She taught kids and created a school for kids who didn't have a place to learn. Listen, all she did was use what she had. Look what Craig Rochelle, the pastor, says. He says, if you are unsure of yourself, you're in great company. And you're at the top of God's potential disciples list. Like he is looking for people like you. The people who feel most unsure about whether or not God can use them. God's like, oh yeah, that's the one. The weak, the, the seemingly unwise, the seemingly foolish, that's perfect. I like the way you look. I like the way your, your talent's just kind of like marginal. 
I like the way you just, you think there's nothing for me to use because I'm going to use that. And this is today's bottom line. Now we're ready for the bottom line. Today's bottom line is this. You will be most content when you leverage what you got and God shows up to do what you could not. That's where contentment really lands. You're trying to get to all these things that you see other people have, but you know what will make you most content? Using what you have for a greater purpose than yourself. And God showing up and doing something in you and through you that you couldn't possibly have imagined. And then there's a contentment that is way beyond what your, your portfolio says you're worth and how many kids you have and how many cars or houses or things you have. It's even more than, than the influence you have in the community. It's just a matter of that God showed up in your life and used what you never thought could be used. And there's those of you in this room right now who are going, there's no way this is true of me. And I'm telling you, this is true of everybody in this room. That even the things that you're not sure about, God may have put there on purpose to create a gap. And in that gap, He hopes for you to use what He gave you. And in that gap, He hopes to show up and do something you never thought possible. Now, you, you know what my favorite movie is? My favorite movie is a, a movie called Rudy. It's from, the, it's from the 90s. If you don't know, it's okay. I'm going I'm to give you the entire story real quick. because it, it, The reason it's my favorite movie is because the story is so, so unbelievably, but it's true. It's based on a true story of a guy named Daniel Rudy Rudiger. He, he was 5'6", weighed 165 pounds. Okay, I'm 5'7 I'm and a half, okay? But basically it's me. And that, maybe that's why I like the story so much. But Rudy played football in high school, and he played for his high school team, and he loved football. But you know what he loved more than, more than anything in the world? He loved Notre Dame football. He loved Notre Dame football team, the Fighting Irish. He grew up being a fan with his family. He was, number, he was the third child of 14 in his family. And so he gets out of high school, and he doesn't have the grades. He's, he finds out later he has dyslexia, but he doesn't have the grades to go to college. He goes to the Navy. He does it a couple years, and he comes back, and he starts working on a steel mill. But he dreams of the day he could play football for the Irish. Can you imagine? <laughs> How stupid right? That's a, that's a stupid dream. Like if I, if I were his counselor in high school, I'd be like, that's a dumb dream. Like you need to think of, maybe think of a different job. You know what he does? He quits his job at the mill and he goes to Notre Dame and he says, I want to apply. And they're like, there's no way. You can't apply here. You do not have the grades. He said, okay, what do I need to do to get the grades? Well, maybe Holy Cross, a little college across the street there will let you in. And sure enough, they let him in. And for two years, he spends working on his academics enough to get accepted into Notre Dame. And he's not even near the football team yet. He's just into Notre Dame as a student right now. And then the first week he's there, he goes to the coach and he talks about him and says, I'm going to play football for you one day. And the coach is like, that's weird. That's crazy. I'm not going to do that. But every day, at pra- every day as they do workouts in the summer, he's standing there at the gate saying hi to the coaches, saying hi to the players, and doing what he can to help. And he starts out by just helping how he can, and eventually the coach is like, fine, you know what, you can be on the scout team. Like, whatever, you're never going to dress a game. Why don't you just get beat up a lot on the field? We need an extra body to get hurt, right? So for two years, Rudy plays football in practice only, never dresses a game until it's senior night, his senior year. And the coach, who has seen all he's given, says, you know what, you're going to dress tonight in senior night. And he dresses in his jersey, and he's standing on the sideline the whole game, and he is just pumped to be in the si- on the sidelines, and he's just ecstatic to be there. But there's this moment at the end of the game when Notre Dame's up by so much, the coach says, Rudy, get in there on the next play. 
And he goes in it, and this is true. You look up the stats. He played three plays. The first one was a kickoff, and he was on defense. Notre Dame kicks it off, and he's, he's on the defense running in on special teams to stop the play. He didn't get to tackle anybody. He just runs there, and he just looks clueless. And the second play, he gets knocked down by a lineman. And on the third play, he has one stat in the book. He sacks the quarterback. Can you imagine? You've played one game. You've played three plays, and you have one stat on your list, and it's sacked the quarterback. He was the first player ever to be carried off the field by any Notre Dame team. He's only one of two people in the entire history of the, of the program that have been carried off the field. Daniel Rudy Rudiger, a nobody little guy, number three out of 14, who had dyslexia, who couldn't even get into school, played for the Irish and sacked the quarterback. I would be willing to bet that your favorite story is not about the people who have it all, and do amazing things. I'd be willing to bet your favorite book that you read to your kids, the favorite movie you end up watching when you have a weekend alone and there's nothing else to do, the the favorite story that you like to tell is not one about somebody who started out having a lot and did something amazing with a lot. It's somebody who had almost nothing and ended up doing something nobody saw coming. Isn't that what you want to be true of your own story? Don't you want to know why God gave you what you have and why it's so little? Don't, don't you want to know why he made you seem like you don't have everything it takes to do what you've been asked to do? Don't you want to know why that is? Don't you want to explore that just a little bit? Aren't you just a little curious why there's such a gap between what you feel like God wants you to do and what your talent seems to be saying? Listen, I'm not saying ignore your talent. I'm not saying get rid of all the things you're good at and don't do anything with those and only pay attention to weaknesses. That's not what I'm saying. Here's what I'm saying. What if you just took what you had and you brought it to God, regardless of how it stacked up against anybody else in your life and around you? What if you were willing to take what you have and just offer it up for Him? That's what the disciples did. That's what made their story so amazing. You know, in Acts 4, Here's what it writes about the disciples. It says, When they saw the courage of Peter and John, this crowd of people around Peter and John who had been doing miraculous things, when they saw them and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men. I'm not a Greek scholar. You may be. But here's what I learned by reading a book about this section. This word ordinary here means, this is the Greek word, idiotes. Idiotes. It means untrained, unskilled, ordinary This is where we get the word idiot. Yeah. They were idiots. Now, that doesn't have the connotation then that it does now. But listen, it means untrained. It means ordinary. It means somebody who hasn't got what it takes. And these people looked at the disciples and said, wait, Peter and John, these are ordinary, untrained, unschooled. They don't really know what they're doing. And yet, you know what the rest of the verse says? It says this. They were astonished, this crowd of people were, and took note that these men had been with Jesus. Here's what I think many of us miss. We miss the opportunity to see God do something amazing in us and through us because we are so busy looking at what we do not have. And it may just be that God didn't give you something on purpose so that He could do something amazing in you and through you. And you've been ignoring it. You've looked at your shameful past 
And you can't imagine how God could use you. And you look at your lack of talent and you can't imagine how God could use you. But what if, listen, what if you just did this one little thing? What if you asked yourself, are you willing to ask yourself and bring what you have to God and just ask, what am I supposed to do with this, God? Because it doesn't look like it's worth anything. It looks like a mini hammer. (laughs) It doesn't work the way I think it's supposed to work. But you gave it to me for some reason, so what... What am I supposed to do with this? And not in a blaming sort of way, but an open-handed kind of way that says, I'm willing to do whatever it takes with whatever you gave me, God, regardless of what it looks like in front of the people that seem to have so much more than me. Yes, they have so much more than me, but God, I'm willing to bring what I've got and let you do with it what you will. Would you be willing to think about that for a second? Because it may just be, listen, it may just be that that little bit of time you've got during the week to pay attention to that neighbor is maybe, you're like, Why? I'm not very good with new people. I don't, maybe you're not, but you've got this margin of time and this person down the street may need some help from you. Or it could be that you've never thought about it, but there are people that come in here every week who are here for the first time and you've never thought about the fact that you're kind of already up in the morning and you're kind of waiting around for church to start and you could probably get here and help say hi to them in a green shirt. But you never thought about that because you're like, man, I must need some special training. You said, no, we just need idiotes. I don't mean that mean, but I'm just saying, we just need ordinary, unskilled people. We'll train you. Ask any of them to wear a green shirt. They're like, I don't really know what I'm doing. But we'll show you what to do. Maybe it's, there, there are some other things in your life at work. There are people that need your investment of love and care. And you've never thought of yourself as a caring, loving person. But maybe you just need to listen to somebody at work. I don't want anybody to walk out here and misunderstand this. So I'm going to say it again. That bottom line for today. You will be most content in your life when you leverage what you got. And then God shows up to do what you could not. That is where contentment is most found It is not in what you will chase. And it is not in the ideal person you hope yourself to be. You know what? Grow and get better. You should be working on yourself. You should be reading. You should be trying to get better at everything you do. But listen, God wants to use what you have right now. He's not waiting for you to get to some point and then say, oh yeah, finally, you're ready. No, no, no. You're ready now. All you got to do is ask the question, what am I supposed to do with this? And I guarantee you, he will answer. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much that you gave us a way to connect with you in such a personal way that you, you want to use what you gave us. Not the future us, but the right now us. And God, none of us are perfect and none of us are great and amazing. But God, we're willing to start exploring this week. How do we use what you gave us? What is it I do with this? And God, I I pray that you would just help us to do that so you can show up in our lives and fill in the gap and do something we never saw possible. God, I pray that for everybody in the room. They would take that little step of faith, the fact that you will be there to support them in this crazy step they're taking to use something they never thought possible for your glory and for somebody else's good. God, we thank you for Jesus who made it all possible. In your son's name we pray it. Amen. Hey, thanks for coming. Matt's